Hello and welcome to another episode of Cherry Jam. This is the first episode of Series 2. Uh, it's Series 2 because it's a new season technically. Um, and uh, I'm joined by the full gang tonight. I've got Russ Brooks, Lawrence Landre or Loz, James Eastwood or Snowy and Jim Harley. So the first part of this week's podcast is going to be about the Six Nations and uh, the triumphant victory uh, for England um, over Italy and then for the whole championship. Uh, Wales-Scotland, which is probably one of the worst games of rugby I've seen in a decade. Um, and then the Ireland-France game, which was actually a very entertaining game um, and uh, look, looks uh, like the French are set, I think, for the next couple of years with the back line they've got. Um Let's start with the England-Italy um, game. What did we all think of that? That was a... It started well, but it was a bit of a slog afterwards. Who wants to go first? I'll jump in. Go on, Snowy. Um, yeah, I think often, how often do you see it with, with an, an Italy game where England are the only Six Nations team that have never lost to them? So they always get a win. It's normally a pretty comfortable win. But there's always 40 minutes of like frustration where they're not just running away with a scoreboard. Um, and I think that there's there's two reasons for that. One is that it it's very hard to beat a team that are that much worse than you in the fashion that you should, um, because you're always just trying things a bit too much. You're trying to do a bit too much off first phase ball. Um, but also to give Italy some credit, as they've been pretty poor now for a little while, um, they did start to get some momentum and really get back into the game and started to disrupt England's flow quite a lot. And of course, Pledri was central to that. Yeah, um, I mean, I think we're going to come on to the tactics that England pursued, but it, it was quite striking that England scored a very good try, actually, off um, first or second phase ball um, in the first five minutes and then proceeded to kick the ball for the next 60, um, which doesn't allow... When you've got people like, you know, Henry Slade and uh, Josephs and Watson and May, it might be nice for them to get the ball in their hands every so often. Um it was, I mean, one of those, it, it was clear, wasn't it, that there was a, a tactic beforehand that they felt there was a weakness at fullback or one of their wingers under the high ball. And with Johnny May chasing under it, they'd exploit it. But mm-hmm. when it didn't work the first 17 times, they continued to try it another 13 times. Yeah, true. You could, you could understand that because um, the fullback was quite poor for Wasps, wasn't he, the previous week in the uh, final not against see, wasn't it? Yeah. So you can understand them wanting to put him under some pressure. But like you say, if it's not working after 10 minutes, just go, oh, do you know what? Let's go back to putting it through the hands and actually play into our, you know, our strengths rather than the opposition's weaknesses. Yeah. And, and to be fair, Snowy mentioned, and I'll come to rest on this, I thought, as he's mentioned, Pelledri, uh and the Italian back row, I thought were excellent, actually, in terms of um, slowing the ball, any ball that England did have, down. Yeah, I thought, you know, the what I did find funny was like suddenly when Jake did score his try, the commentators remembered he was quite a good player because they'd kind of been quite disparaging about him. I thought at one point, like when I was a bit, he looks a bit slow. He certainly didn't look slow for his try, did he? And I think it's the sort of thing we've known for a while. When he gets up to a full head of steam, you, you don't want to tackle him, do you? I think most Gloucester fans, me included, were probably quite glad that him and Ollie didn't 
run into each other because it kind of would have opened up a wormhole into some other kind of hell for 2020. It felt <laughs> like but yeah, in all seriousness, I thought that Italy, the one thing they do have is a lot of good back row players. And yeah, they seem very well capable of slowing down our ball. Um, they, they, they came together quite well. They took that try well because it came out of nothing and they, they dragged us into, into a contest when it did look like we were going to run away with it. But I think where I found it frustrating was it was, well, plan A's not working. What have we got? Plan A. And I mean, we it worked out well for England anyway, but you're thinking when we need as many points as possible to put pressure on the Ireland-France game, it would have been nice just to see once we got, we were near there just to open up a little, but for whatever reason, that just wasn't the game plan on the day. Um, well, I kind of mentioned at the beginning that uh, England scored a try in the first five minutes and the player who scored the try, uh, and then actually England's second try, and pretty much, I think, helped secure the victory overall, uh, was Ben Young's on his 100th cap. Jim is our resident scrum half. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, did you think of, what did you think of Young's performance? I thought he was excellent. Yeah, I've I'm, I'm never been a massive Ben Young's fan, to be fair. Um, but I think he he has just been really, really solid. Um, he's been solid for Leicester in a very poor Leicester squad all season. And um, he did absolutely everything asked of him, didn't he? Um, box kicking was good, con- good control. And just being typical scrum half, being in the right place at the right time, um, running good support lines and you know getting the, getting the tries that um, scrum halves maybe never used to score because they weren't maybe working so hard being in that supporting role that now the modern nine is required to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other, I think I'm going to come and touch on the, um, the, the Gloucester sort of players that were playing this weekend. And uh, it's difficult with May and Thorley because I think May had, May had a good game. I don't you didn't do anything wrong. Um, the thing with, with Johnny May, a lot of the time, I think it's more his defensive work is probably the, um, a lot of the things that he, he stands out for now because he very rarely gets the ball. Uh, and, and Ollie thought he didn't really get a chance. I mean, he got, what, 12, 13 minutes or something like that, didn't he? Um, maybe a bit more, but I don't think he touched the ball for the first eight, ten. No, but I think what was good was he, he did look like he was coming in off his wing looking for work. You looked quite yeah. a lot. He was hitting rucks. He was running around. He was there for support lines. So at least it wasn't one of those ones where it felt like he was told go against your game. We just want you to stand out on the wing. It looked like he was there to come and look for work. So mm. hopefully if he gets another chance, which he didn't do anything spectacular, but he didn't do anything that would make them not pick yeah. him. That's that's the important thing, isn't it? Not not doing anything horrendously wrong. No, it was just 13 minutes to lay down a benchmark. And yeah. you know, the way the one thing you can say for Eddie Jones is he does <laughs> Every now and then he'll stick to a player like Furbank has had a lot of caps now, hasn't he? In a long run, he's had some a good bit of game time when people often criticise the selections. I can't say I'm his biggest fan, but Eddie certainly sees something in him. Yeah, I think it's Young's is it's easy to say he's solid, but you don't get 100 caps just by being solid, do you? I think he's he's been in and out of form for a while, but you know he he, he has a game like that Italy game in him, and mm-hmm. I think. He's, is something that people have forgotten for a while. Yeah, he's, he's one. I think he's one of the very few scrum halves um, that will snipe a little bit more. Um, Los, in he, terms he can of change you... his game plan, can't he? He, he, he can. Um, he's not either Willie Hines or uh, Dan Robson. He can change a little bit between the two, being the controlling or being the sniping. 
mm. depending on what's on offer. Yeah. Uh, Loz, um, is, I mean, in terms of the England performance, was there any, uh, other than the kind of people we mentioned, were there any sort of standouts you saw? Uh, any, any players that you kind of picked out and thought they had a good game, particularly? Um, not really. <laughs> um, yeah. it, was, it was one of the ghost games, wasn't it? It was difficult it, to watch at times. I, I popped in the chat that we were going to beat by about 60 points away it was going at the start, and then we just went and switched off. And fair play to Italy, they came into the game. That sounds that's very disrespectful to them. But you, when Young's, we cut, we cut them open for Young's try so easily early on, you thought, oh, here we go again. It's going to be another hammering. Um, then obviously they came back into the game and made it quite competitive up to half time. And then the second half we cut loose somewhat. But I just don't think England played particularly well. No. We didn't need to. Um, that's a shame. That's probably the, the that's the only shame, really. We didn't need to play well. I think that's the point. No, I, I, I don't think Fairbanks an international quality fullback. I was I, I, I said last week I didn't think that uh Thorley would play only because I thought they'd go with Pock and the singer, which he didn't. Mm. But it would have been nice to have seen um Watson at fullback. Yeah, I'd agree with that. May on the wing and either Falconer Singer or Thorley on the other, personally. Um, I, the centres weren't balanced for me by having Slade and Joseph there. I yeah. thought we needed someone with a bit more grunt in the midfield there. Yeah, it's two, two playmakers running centres rather than a big ball-carrying bulldozer, isn't it? But then don't, pass, <laughs> don't get the ball to either of them. Don't actually use them for their skills or, you know, there's no, no doubt that Slade can play 12 because he, he's formerly a 10, isn't he? You know, he's yeah. been converted to outside centre and he's doing very, very, very well. He looks an exceptional player at the, at the moment, the form he's in. But it just didn't look balanced in midfield. Um, Farrell's going to be Farrell. He's one of the best around and he's certainly kicking goals. Young's, I've never been his biggest fan, but he's obviously doing something right to get those caps. So mm-hmm. it shows what I know on scrum half play, really, doesn't it? Uh, Vunipola avoided it. Uh, Billy Vunipola managed to avoid injury, so that's always a plus. Um, Underhill tackled everything that moved near enough. Thought so Jamie George very... had a good game as well. To be fair, yeah, yeah. yeah. He really, he really has a bad game. To be fair to him, yeah. Um, the props, I, I suppose, props done their job in the um, in the scrum in the second row. Johnny Hill managed to get himself a yellow card, and he's got a bit of previous for doing that. As well, yeah, it was a bit naughty that. Wasn't it? I mean, I know, yeah. I know that, I know that. Um, you know, the guy was. It's, it's a good job that Underhill tackled him. Let's put yeah. it this way, because yeah, if Underhill tackled the guy, he was gone. Yeah, yeah. He was gone, he was gone yeah. for the rest of the game. Yeah, um, we're gonna. Move, so, I mean, to be fair, England, England won quite comfortably. We all knew they were going to. It was a case of almost how many points they were going to score. We'll come on to the Ireland game in a minute, but I just wanted to have a touch on the Wales Scotland game, which was dire. Um, it wasn't now, that good. <laughs> no, it wasn't that good, was it? Uh, I mean, I mean no. the Italians would have loved to have played either of those sides, wouldn't they, at the weekend? Oh, they'd have I had just... a real chance of getting a win. Absolutely awful. I mean, I know the weather. I mean, look, I mean, as I mentioned on the group chat about the fact that uh, the amount of time they mentioned the bloody wind on the, on the BBC commentary in the first 25 minutes, it, I wasn't sure if it was a rugby game or a, a weather channel. Um, it clearly was a windy day. But still, I mean, honestly, no one could throw a ball straight. No one. Every time they kicked the ball, it was going all over the place. Um, there were knock-ons galore. It was just an awful game of rugby by two very average sides. Um, and it's just funny Wales lost, really. I mean, that's my personal opinion. Um, I'm pretty sure Reece Zammett was quite happy he wasn't involved. 
because uh, you won't want to be involved with that lot. Uh, Harris had a good game. Um, probably should have scored a try if he hadn't dropped the ball. Um, yeah. I mean, any, any other comments about the, the Wales game? I mean, it wasn't particularly, I mean, other just, than it was just funny to Wales, think, Wales lose. Yeah. Just if I was a Wales fan, I'd be getting a bit worried about what the actual held our game plan is. Because I think if you look look back on this six, even before the break, they weren't exactly firing on all cylinders, were they? I think of all the teams, you know, Italy aside, Wales have probably gone backwards the most. I think Wales are in a tricky situation where their experienced players now are pretty much past it. Yeah. And they've got lots of young players that are pretty much inexperienced and they're completely missing that middle chunk of players that you need to sort of transition across. And I think they're going to be, they're going to be poor for a few years, I think. They've, and, they've also got a new coach, haven't they? So they've got the fact yeah. pivot. It took, pivot, it took <laughs> pivot a yeah. couple of years um, to get Lenethi going well, didn't it? I, I think the problem well, is, so. is the Welsh fans are not exactly patient, are they? So you wonder how much time you'd actually get there. I, I, I oh, co- co- come on. I'm not being funny. There, there, there are Welsh fans that were born 30 years after their bloody primary still talk about the fucking 70s. So, you know, <laughs> what, what, what they got, no coach has got open house chance unless he will get the. No, I, I completely agree, but I just think he'll be, he'll be one of those ones where the pressure of you can already see people saying, calling. Oh, people are already saying. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's uh, like, like you said, how much time has he had? Um, um, one of my yeah. friends on Facebook put, from World Cup challenges to this. Like, <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't really a World Cup challenge. They weren't really World Cup challenges, were they? No. <laughs> um, but the, it, it's it's Alan, Alan Wynn Jones, you know, you've got you to take your hat off to him. Oh, yeah. He's broken the world record, but it's almost like um, they were getting a little bit over emotional about about that and we're saying about you know who'd be the coach that doesn't pick Alan Wynn Jones now you know because it's quite a brave call to go well you know you've broken the record now and uh, we're going to pick someone else because I think you passed it because he's actually quite good still but obviously but he, 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 he would he still that... pick him because they haven't got anyone else have they yeah, well, yeah. I don't, I don't and that's the thing you know it's, it's all about development isn't it and you kind of when you when you've got someone that's that's that good that's been around that long how do you just as, think, as, as a youngster Lee, trying to step into his shoes, I don't think Lee Halfpenny's beat a player in about five years. <laughs> he's been he's been concussed for them. <laughs> well, the thing is, as well, I and mean, this is the point: there are a lot of players, Welsh players, who are out at the moment. I mean, and and very good Welsh players as well. I mean, you know, you've got uh, North South. Um, Patchell's out. Well, uh, sorry, did you say North yeah. was injured? That's a funny that. surprise. But no, but the point is, is that they have got a lot of they have got a lot of world class players and players who've got a lot of, of, of ability who are you know who are in form who are unavailable at the moment. Um, so I do think that it's not. I mean, not that I really care that much, but it, it, I do think there is. It's not total and utter doom and gloom for Wales. Um, I think the bigger issue is to think their pack is going backwards. Um, certainly, as you mentioned. Um, Jim, that Alan Wynn Jones, 149 caps now. Um, I actually think it's the other way around. I think it's now it's not as brave. It would have been bloody brave to turn around on 148 caps. Sorry, Alan yeah. Wynn. Thank you very much. Yeah, we don't need you anymore. 149, you can turn around quite legitimately and go, Oh, you've had a brilliant career. I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll give you 150 and then ta da. I, I wonder, and I, I do wonder if, if Alan, Alan Wynn Jones is the sort of player who might actually even do that, you know, if he sees you know that you could probably argue he might actually take 150 and go on done it wouldn't surprise me with him because 
you know, he's he puts the team before everything else. Um, yeah, but it wouldn't if he goes to one fifty. If he's putting the team in front of everyone else, he'd go at one four nine. Wouldn't he? Wouldn't worry about the milestone. Right, it depends. It depends how anal he is about even numbers and rounding up. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, you've got to think. you got to think with your sponsorship deals that you know one fifty on a on a jersey on a tracksuit. Well, that's it's a, it's a nicer number than one four nine, isn't it? Mm. It's true. They just dig him out for a friendly against the Barbars, just make it a cap game or something. I think the other thing... Just arrange a friendly between Italy and bloody Wales so you can both give them and Parise. Yeah, yeah <laughs> nice little send-off. I think the other thing from that game that I take away is I just hope Scotland continue to not ever pick Russell because, you know, there <laughs> is to see how dire they are without him. Yeah, they did. It, it did. Just feel, the irony he did go of downhill when he went off, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's just the irony of Gregor Townsend not picking someone because they're a bit of a maverick player almost, and like you know, he's but it's quite yeah. funny, regardless, isn't it? Um, no, I agree. Uh, the, the the final game of the weekend was the the kind of the most important one of the lot, knowing that England had got their bonus point victory, it meant that um, Ireland had to beat France by only seven points or six points if they'd scored a try, just to confuse things. Uh, or uh, France had to win by 32 points or 31 points if they scored a try. Um, anyway, uh, and we'll come back onto the commentary in a minute because uh, there was, I think there are some interesting conversations to be had about the BBC and their rugby coverage generally. But um, the Ireland-France game actually was a really entertaining game of rugby. And um, I particularly enjoyed, the again, the Dupont um, at, at nine, who's just ridiculous and yeah. he's such a good player um and uh Entermach at 10 um who again jim and i when we were in toulouse we saw him they saw we they, I mean, they ripped us apart pretty much didn't they uh dupont they certainly and, did uh, uh and Entermach. um i mean you know and obviously vaca tower at its uh, center uh seemed to Boutier, be lost to play back is a great player as well Boutier. Yeah. <laughs> Boutier, even yeah, sorry. Boutier, Boutier, yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I didn't, be... do, why I didn't get French at GCSE. Very I'm not well. going to. I'm not going to do an Eddie, uh, an Eddie, uh, yeah. Eddie Butler. But um, no, I mean, actually, we'll come on to that first. Actually, the dumbest move, the dumbest sort of thing I've <laughs> seen in rugby for years uh, was what Boutier did. Um, yeah, in, I was in about to come on to that. I was going to say he's a great player, bar that moment. I thought there was a, and to be fair. The penalty try Ireland gave away was oh, it was just equally as well. Was, I always thought it was more stupid. Personally, it almost felt like they'd both forgotten that they had to beat each other on the scoreboard, and they were just trying to beat each other for shithousery at those two <laughs> movements. It was just both bizarre. This, you know, they were, you know, I think he was very lucky um, with the deliberate knockout that. I can't remember who it was going for the ball, but he's leaning back, and I think that yeah. was the only mitigate. And I think well, to be the, fair, the, to, to be fair, it it shouldn't have been anything because it was a knock on. As soon as it touched his hand, whether he slaps it out or not, it was a knock on. You're not allowed to knock it out, though, Jim. Yeah, that's, that's a problem. Yeah, if he literally, if he doesn't matter, it's a knock on. You can't knock it out anywhere in in that. Yeah. And if he if he'd caught if he'd caught it and accidentally knocked it out. Yeah, that's different. Or if he caught it and then it bobbled around the in-goal area or knocked it and in bubble the in-goal area, it would have been a knock-on. And I, I, I think the takeaway for me was... You see Boutier's how... reaction. Boutier's yeah. reaction, as soon as he knocked it out, he's like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done yeah, that. Yeah, he, he can see <laughs> the his character. He's like, don't... I, you know, I'm pretty sure cheated, Henry Paul did not the same well for enough. us. I think Henry I think... Paul did it for Gloucester, didn't he, in his early days, because it's, it's okay. That's what they do in league. league. 
And I think Rain Barnes gets a lot of credit for the way that game went because I think all of those decisions he just ref them spot well, on. He, 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 he spoke. He talked. He, that's the thing. He, he's one of the very few refs who um, who actually engages the TMO mid-game and says, "Can you just check that?" or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then rather than stopping the game, let's have a look. It's more. Yeah. It, do I need to have a look at this? And he's thinking I, yeah. about the TMO while he's also refereeing the game with a view to go back to the TMO if need be and keeps the flow going. And, and I think I his, exactly. his commentary, yeah. his commentary, and we can go on to the commentary in a minute. We'll go on to commentary but, next. Um, his commentary of the game negates commentators to, yeah. to be there. Because he just lets you know what's going on. And, and I think the other thing I like about him is when he watches it, you can see the TMO wants to inject, interject, go, here's five more angles. And they'll go, no, 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 I'm quite happy with that. And he just backs his decision. And as soon as he's made his mind up and he's very clear in his explanation of it as well. So it just mm-hmm. makes it really easy to watch along and know what he's thinking. And he, and his communication with the players as well just always seems brilliant to me. But yeah, I, I just thought it was a good game. As uh, Tomo said on Twitter, I, I would have liked them to play for the whole of lockdown, if I'm honest, just to... No, it was, it was, it was a very entertaining game. It was nice to see France giving it a go at, at certain points. I think once they realised that they weren't going to get the, the, the you know, the, the required amount of points, they kind of actually uh, settled in and, and played to win a test match. Yes, Lars? Is Damien Penno injured? Do we know? Because he's a hell of a player as well, and he wasn't anywhere near that team by all accounts. I don't, one would hope he's injured. I don't Wesley know. Fof- Fofana. Wesley Fofana as well, because he's a hell of a player too. But I mean, it just shows the depth, doesn't it? That they've yeah. got quite a lot of players so coming a, through. What's it Castanier said? I think Castanier has said something that in the last uh, 10 years, they'd had something like 45 or 50 halfback pairings. Yeah. So, think... It's something mental like that, that basically they, they just, they haven't had any settled side until this year, the French. Um, and it's amazing problem, what happened when they put, when, when they started getting a, a settled side and a, um, a settled halfback pairing in Dupont and Ensemac, um, that they suddenly look a different outfit. It's weird, isn't it? Because you could almost argue it was the way that the division was working, where they brought in so many overseas players. It was like it felt like the problem they were they had was their their, their homegrown players couldn't get game time, and now well, it was, wasn't it? Back. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Loz. It was they weren't getting game time, but now suddenly you've got this generation of players all coming through at once, and yeah, you know, it just looks really good for them. Not so good. Well, they've gone with they've gone with quota system, haven't they? That you can only yeah. have X amount of overseas players. They have I to be French started, qualified. Yeah, and it, it's showing the benefit on now. Now I think yes. all that. And, and that's why Toulon is so shit as well, basically, because <laughs> they've, they they've, had, they've had to find twenty-five or thirty French players instead of having twenty-five or thirty ex-All Black Springboks and Australians. <laughs> They're no um, longer the barbers. No. Yeah. Um, what, what I was going to say, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll briefly mention the commentary before we move on to a few other topics. Um, now. Uh, it's safe to say that the BBC rugby coverage over the last few years has been average, I think, at best. Uh, Snowy, I'll come to you first. We'll go around the group. Um, I mean, are you a fan of Eddie Butler or Brian Moore? I, I mean, I've never been a fan of them, of Eddie, Eddie Butler. <laughs> I do, that's why I came, that's why I came to you first. Um, <laughs> But I think if you look at the BBC commentary team, they're pretty much the same team that commentated in the 90s. 
And it, if less. you look at if you look at BT Sport or Sky Sports Rugby, they're always bringing in newer players that have got a new angle on the game and the way the modern game has changed. And they haven't done that at all. And I mean, ah, oh, trying to watch a Wales game when Jiffy's commentating. That's another another strange thing that they do is they they'll always pick off their selection of different pundits they can have on. They'll pick the most biased ones for each game. You'd, you'd think you'd keep them away from those games and have the neutral ones commentating, but it's a very strange approach. It's it's also, I don't even think it's, for me, it's not even the fact that it's, this, it's the actual, as you say, it's the actual people uh, that they pick. I can cope with a biased Irishman or a biased Welshman or a biased Scotsman. That's fine. I don't mind that, but just not jiffy. Just not uh, Eddie Butler or um, who's the who's the one they always get on now for Scotland these days? Um, oh, what's his name? Patterson's pretty bad. Patterson's... And Andy Nichol. Andy Nichol. Oh, no, it's never the Scots' fault. Is it's never Andy Nichol. That's what I'm trying to think of. Andy yeah. Nichol's the one. Uh, and, and Andy... and housewife's favourite, uh, Thomas Castagnier, isn't it, for the French? Yeah. yeah. He's quite so, good. He's all right. Hang on, let's go. Yeah. One he's, back he's, to Andy he's, Nichol a minute. Well, Andy Nichol, Andy Nichol makes Scott Hastings look bloody impartial. That tells you all you need to know. <laughs> I remember, bearing in mind, this is the same Scott Hastings I'm referring to, who gave man of the match to an Edinburgh player because basically, well, you know, they've won nothing else today after Gloucester given oh, yeah. them a new one up at, at Merrifield. Honestly, and he makes him look impartial. Ed, Eddie Butler's good for one thing: montages. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> Yeah, what, what they should do is the BBC should create montages for the other channels to do the commentary. I, I think Brian Moore has his moments being quite good. I think sometimes it's just he tries too hard. As it, it's almost as if he's trying to gate Eddie Butler, and he made a very dull comment. Yeah, which he has apologised for on Twitter. Yeah, which to be fair, he's uh, apologised yeah, for. Fair play to those, him, but it won't be good enough, will it? I mean, there were people still. I mean, all he can do is apologise. But I just think, you know, he's better when he's kept away from Eddie Butler, actually. And the, at least the one who pisses me off is Jeremy Guskert, because I don't think he's ever watched a club game of rugby since he's retired. Uh, funny enough, I was about to come on to Jeremy Guskert. <laughs> I, 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 he might be ex-bath, but it does my head in. Like I've seen him talk about Ollie Fawley like he's come from nowhere. Or he'll talk about players who everyone who has a passing interest with rugby knows something about. And he'll act like, you know, is completely bonkers to Pittman because he can't be asked to do his job and do some bloody research. Uh, um, what I was going to say uh, to Jim actually on this bit, which was the uh, so you've got the the other person who I think unfortunately the BBC need to do need to bin off quite quickly uh, is a certain Mister Inverdale, who it's I mean there's the old meme isn't there about um, well that's enough about what you know Wales could have just won the World Cup and it would be like that's enough about Wales. What about England, Jerry? And that's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he's just, it's just painful at times watching him. Uh, I, I, do you know what? John Inverdale, he's kind of one of these guys because he only stopped playing rugby himself, didn't he, five minutes ago? So he's, he thinks he's still sort of um, in, in with it, um, even though he was playing probably even lower league than Doughty ever were. Uh, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's Brian Moore, I have been moaning about <laughs> for at least 10 years. He, he just, seems to be so patronising and he just expects everyone that is uh, watching the Six Nations to have never watched a rugby game before and just explaining the laws of the game constantly, coming out with the same catchphrases, oh, they're, they're, they're laws, not rules, and things like that. And it's just like, bore off, really. It's, we all know this, let us watch the game. 
I just um, wonder how Martin Johnson and Paul O'Connell, who I both think are very good, just don't have an aneurysm dealing with the rest of them. To be honest, because I'll be honest, was, I was surprised that I was surprised that Martin Johnson didn't get murdered by Paul O'Connell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> following his halftime comment, but that, that's a different thing. But, I mean, it is, it, it is o- just o- very, very, good. very old-fashioned, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. it is, and that's what I mean. O'Connell is very good, but he stands out a mile compared to the yeah. rest of them because he's so much more aware of the modern game. And I, I, I do think he's very good anyway. But I agree with that. Right, we're going to pause here and uh, we'll come back and we'll talk about a few other extra things involving Gloucester Rugby. And Jim's got a, a comment about the uh, New Zealand-Australia game. Okay, uh, the sort of the next bit, m- most of the final part of this podcast this week um, is going to be about something that was mentioned uh, on uh, ShedWeb. Um, I, I asked uh, a few people, I asked on the ShedWeb page if any sort of feedback, any ideas that we could talk about in the coming weeks where, we're, where there's no actual Gloucester rugby to talk about. Um, and something that was raised, and I think is a legitimate query or concern, is uh, the communication from the club to the fans about what's going on. Now, that could involve the training ground, uh, season ticket refunds, which I believe have now been uh, sorted for this season, um, but just generally the communication. Now, uh, I'll say what I have to say towards the end, maybe. I'll let other people talk first. Um, what's our experience of the communication from the club, generally? Uh, non-existent. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I think it's a bit, considering how many emails I get from, you know, thousands of companies, I seem to get very few from Gloucester and I'm actually quite interested in those. So I, I think we're in that situation where actually too much information isn't too much information. We get that things change very rapidly. So tell us what you know, when you know, and when things change tell us what you know now um yeah i I think it would be nice to know where the donations have gone uh, regarding the the training facility um clearly there's going to be some kind of delay on that they're not going to be pushing through with it in the same time scale that they were originally so just be honest and say you know take us to court if you want but we're spending the money on keeping the club afloat um things like that uh just just let us know what's going on because we're all desperate to know what's going on and even though we know we're not going to get into king's home anytime soon and um you know there's still lots of questions that i'm sure uh martin st quentin and 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 everyone's trying to get answers to from from government local authority and all the rest but just keep us in the loop because we are desperate desperate for information Snow, um, as you're the person who sort of lives furthest away and you're more reliant on sort of information coming from maybe emails, updates and stuff from the club um, sort of to find out what's going on, uh, what's your, and, and you know, you, you work in a, in a sector that's very much about, I mean, it's logistics, but it's, it's, it's about communication at the end of the day. What's your view on things? Um I, th- I think the the biggest change actually since I come up here is I'm spending less of my time 
deep into conversations about Gloucester rugby involving all the forums and everything like that. And I think I think when you spend a lot of your time in that world, you suddenly build up this expectation that you should be having constant conversations with the club and they should be updating you on every little thing that you aren't sure about. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do see just in my day-to-day usage of so- social media and such is updates on player signings, um, updates on progress in a game and results. Uh, and I think sometimes we, we, we expect a level of communication for 5,000 fans when they're actually communicating to 80,000 fans. Um, which is a, a much broader subset that aren't so interested in that detail. Now, as a season ticket holder, I would be expecting some emails on the financial side of things um, and some updates, some updates, not constant updates on um, how the club are looking to tackle some of the issues that are, that are there at the moment with, with COVID and such. But Honestly, some, sometimes, and any anyone anyone who ever comes in at a senior level who's got a lot of ex- business experience, they always reduce the amount of communication, never increase it. Because you can, as soon as you start to over-communicate, you often just ask more and more questions and things become a lot more confusing. And sometimes you just want to keep it really basic, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. We're a rugby club. Let's talk about rugby in our comms. Um, and occasionally when there's a big enough issue we can we can then go into more detail on something does that make sense yeah and that's yeah, kind of yeah, where, yeah. that's kind of where i wanted to come with it because i think you this is i think a point that is missed by maybe someone shared word but generally probably even ourselves we are as you say we're we're sort of living and breathing this every day you so to speak you know all right the podcast is, is a little bit different but if you're in and around the club and you're in and around the city and it's you're more um sort of going into a deeper deeper thought about what's happening at Gloucester, it's good to get a, 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 an idea from people who are away from that situation. Um, now, Loz and I and Jim are season ticket holders, so we've kind of had this ongoing dialogue with the club, so to speak, uh, last couple of months. Uh, Russ is someone who comes to watch the rugby every so often, um, do you find so, Russ? Do you find the correspondence communication from the club uh, consistent, or do you think it's something that needs to be worked on? I mean, I think we probably all agree with that. But you know, how how do you view it? I, I kind of, I think I out of everything, I agree mostly with Snow. That mm-hmm. you know, I'm someone I can't go every week. I'd love to go every week. Um, different circumstances mean I can't, but I love the club, which probably means I invest a lot of time in trying to find out stuff. But having had to take that step back, you kind of realise that you might think you have an expectation to know absolutely everything that's going on in the club. And I can fully get, if I was a season ticket holder, how I might like, and I had this money sat there that I was investing and I wanted it back, absolutely agree the club could do more to do that. But some of the other stuff people get worked up about, I just think you kind of have to be balanced about it. I, I think at the moment, you know, not getting political, but everything moves fast communication is pretty piss poor at everything at the moment because everything's moving so fast so the club don't have a lot of news and i think coming from a job where we've tried to do update there is no update that sometimes can lead to more frustration anyway and also mm-hmm. if you want more information from the club and this is a general moan about social media anyway you've got to expect if you're going to give them shit back 
why would the club deal with it? I think sometimes the level of vitriol they get, you know, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't, almost, it feels like. So I think sometimes the club won't give that info. Now, obviously, the one thing I will say is, as someone who was troubled when the club were like, we're going to go bust in six months, a few months ago, and now we've heard nothing, it kind of would be nice to have an update on that in some way. So there's a, there's a balance to be had. And I think it is, they just need to find a way to have a better communication strategy, really. But I also think if you're a fan, you've got to, it's like Snowy said, you've got to be realistic about what the club actually, what that you should have a right to know and what you don't have any expectation to know. Also, communication isn't free. That's the thing. Yeah, you, again. You, you, um, so it takes someone a lot of time to write those match reports for Facebook and um, to put the updates together. And then if it's a contentious issue, that update is going to have to do the rounds of all the senior people at the club to make sure that yep. it's happy and yeah. the tone is right and things. At the moment, I'm pretty sure they've got more pressing matters that they really need to be working on rather than <laughs> making sure that, that Karen knows what um, Pelledri had for breakfast so that she can get a shopping on point. And, yeah, and, I but, think... and actually, you say that as um, with the, with the extension of furlough, you would you would imagine that everyone at the club that can be will continue to be furloughed until the end of this month now, mm-hmm. uh, end of November. Yeah, and it's, we don't know how often people are actually even around to be doing their jobs if they aren't furloughed and they've reduced hours of people, which again and. And working in an industry where we, we work online, yes, you can do things fast, but it does have an impact. So like Snowy said, sometimes getting that information around to get those inf- the updates out, that will take even longer. Yeah. Um, I, I think so, the issue is, uh, sorry, um, sorry as you were saying, Russ, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had Martin St. Quentin saying we'll be bust in six months uh, yeah. if, we don't, if we don't get um, fans back in the stadium. And... We haven't had fans back in the stadiums and we're not going to. I mean, that is pretty bloody clear that we are not going to um, certainly well, in the next four of, not weeks. This, not this side of Christmas. Not highly, this side of... highly unlikely um, before, you know, yeah, the, the new year and, and, yeah. and further on. So, and, and this is something that, um, that my work started doing during COVID is just a weekly email just with all the all the comings and goings um, and actually kind of, if something's still the same, you can say it's still the same. If something's changed, you can say it's changed a little bit of information on the new signings, because uh, I know for a fact that there's a lot of season ticket holders and club members that maybe aren't season ticket holders um, that aren't on Facebook and Twitter and, or don't pay attention to it that closely. So just, that information that we've we've signed these new players would be would be quite good, and I yeah. maybe that maybe they have been going out, but I still don't get the club emails. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I was going to say there's that, that at home which goes out uh, mostly pretty much every week, isn't it? There used to be the uh, weekly update from our CEO, but that seems to have died to death. Lately. Yeah, I mean, I was going to come to you now, Lords, because um, there are actually two points on that. One, which was going to be the 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 weekly or relatively um, frequent uh, emails and correspondence we were getting from Lance Bradley. Uh, but the other side of things is probably the more the financial side of things. Now, do you, you know, as we're, so say, Jim, you and you, yourself and, my, and me, uh, we're, we're season ticket holders. We've 
donated, I think we've all been in the same case, have donated the money to the training ground. Do you think that that's one? I mean, my personal opinion is it is one area that they do need to communicate better with us on. But certainly the financial side of things, what would you look to see? What would you want them to release, if anything, uh, regarding the financials? Nothing. It goes on the company's ace record, doesn't it? If you want to know the financials, wait till the accounts are filed and you can see it. Uh, I think well, well, it's we're not talking accounting. Yeah, yeah what, what yeah, I mean, sorry, sorry, I should be, but, be but clear. It's none of our business, ultimately. It's privately owned company. Mm-hmm. That's, that's well, what, trouble. What I mean uh, was, what I mean, I suppose, Loz, is, is there... Is there, is there, say, a, um, a, 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 not a reason, but is there a, a thing you could we, say? We, that have, they, we, have they an ownership, send... we have an ownership of this new training ground. There's, there's thousands of us that have donated significant sums of money towards it. And so just to have some sort of timescale, some sort of information regarding, you know, many thanks to the X thousands uh, Gloucester season ticket holders that have donated x amount of pounds towards the training ground this will be going into these following facilities we're going to have this 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 and this you know and and you just basically put out yeah. what, what yeah, we're Jim, paying do you, how do you know the club's in that position to be able to release that fact yet we just well, don't know do we we don't no, know how far no, along the but they is. must but they must have been thinking that when they offered up the option do you know what I mean? Why? They must yeah, have why, why, why do you think that for one moment? They needed to come up with something quick that was going to appease fans to keeping their money. They needed to keep their money. Uh, ultimately, the CVC money we received, I forget, I don't know how much it was, but X has gone paying some of the debt, so a good chunk of it was put to one side to buy the new training ground, to build the new training ground. Our money, our season ticket money, has not gone into that whatsoever. We will get a plaque on the wall which says our name yes but that money at the moment has gone into keeping this club afloat and let's be fair if we don't keep this club afloat who gives a fuck about the training ground because we ain't gonna have a club to train there what what i was gonna say did did they say that money was going to specifically go to the training ground yes it did but what i was going to say was regardless of the training ground the training ground is is kind of one of these it's now it's now an issue that's going to be an ongoing thing and i think until they actually announce something even if it's just say unfortunately because of the situation we've had to postpone it you know that's fine just do that it's look at a big picture how many other clubs are coming out and being open and honest about their finances and and it's not it's not a business thing to do is it that you know because the first thing you turn around and say you're in the shit bloody People who are pro- propping up the club are going to pull the plug on them. You're not going to raise any more funds. No one's going to put any money into something that's a sinking And, and I think, sorry, I know Snowy wants to, but that's my final thing I want to say is, like, Loz is right. The club have got to please the fans, but we are not the only people they've got to please. So they are trying to, to keep a lot of different parties happy here. You've got sponsors, you've got investors, you've got the players, you've got the staff, and each and every one of them will have a different view and expectation of how the club conducts themselves at the moment. And it doesn't look good to sponsors to go, we're on ropey ground. And, and it's also, it's not just to people you've got now. You've got to look for longer term investment and going, "Aye, lads, we're in the ship, but give us 50 quid. It, it's not really a strong message to send out, is it? So I think it's just, it's very difficult all around. And the club yeah. could probably do more, but they've got to be careful. Stay, I, you I, look, go on, Stay, yeah. then, Loz. I think if you put your club hat on, I, I would imagine the reason they haven't released any concrete information is that they simply don't have any. It's, it's a moving feast. The lock, the lockdown that we've got now, two, three weeks ago, we weren't sure if it was going to happen. 
the the training ground is probably something that they're desperately looking for a plan b plan c how can we reduce all of our planned expenditure over the next few months and when you've got that much up in the air and, and nothing detailed you simply can't release any information because you don't know it yourself mm-hmm. and the last thing you want to do is say we've decided not to do the training ground but then an opportunity arises next week and you're like it's back on the table and you're giving mixed messages the, the focus at the minute is going to be right we have got to have a look at where we can save money over the next few months and keep the club alive. And when we've mm-hmm. got some concrete information, we'll release it, but we don't have it at this point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, two, things I'd fo- two things for me. One, I'd follow on from what Snowy is saying. Giving mixed messages is worse than giving a, 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 an actual answer because you can hear, you can see the posts on Shedweb or on Twitter or uh, Facebook now. Oh, they said this one week. Now they don't do any U-turn. They're as bad as the government. This, that, and another, and all that was over. <laughs> as bad as no, the government? Not, oh my god! Oh, hang on, no, I'm not going to. No, no. Let's not no, touch that with a barge pole. Yeah, no, yeah, but you know what you, you know what I'm saying by that. Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh, agree. About doing a U-turn on it. But the other thing I just want to say as well is for all those fans who are demanding to know the ins and outs and the uh, of the, the the financials of the club. I'm sorry, you lost that right in 1996 when you sold the club, to, when the club was sold to Tom Walkinshaw. It became a private company then. I'd like to point out here that um, I was playing devil's advocate, but I really enjoyed the fact that everyone got very angry about that. Because um, I was going to say, that I, the, um, the, the point I wanted to make on uh, all of this was the club are have, in the last couple of months, um, basically had to make redundant because through cost-cutting measures, they haven't got, I don't believe, a, a senior marketing person anymore. They don't have a director of communications anymore, or if they do, it's a very junior person. Um, and there's a lot of people that would normally be at the club doing these type of roles, being involved in the day-to-day communication, week-to-week communication, etc., that aren't there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, as Loz has quite eloquently put it, and I only put the question out there because this is the type of question you see on ShedWeb. To expect the club to release financial information or release information, uh, you know, asking for money or this is the perilous situation we're in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It's without there being consequences. And I think probably when Martins and Quentin and Lance Bradley mentioned this a few weeks ago, it was because they're trying to put pressure on the government to get a bailout package or to put a rescue package or whatever you want to call it for the, for the game, not necessarily just the club. Yeah. Um, and, and the third point I'd like to make is that if you compare Gloucester to every other club, I think the only two sets of fans I would say who are probably happy with the communication they're getting from their club at the moment is Bristol and Exeter. And that's because they've won things. Everyone yeah. else, everyone else is pissed off. And if you go on any single forum, uh, fans forum it's exactly the same everyone's really annoyed because season ticket holders are waiting for refunds and there's confusion even bristol there was confusion about their season ticket um and how you got refunds on games you couldn't attend and all this sort of stuff um now so it's not just gloucester i think sometimes we are a bit myopic in the fact that obviously we we you know we're all on shed web to a lesser or greater extent um i know loss isn't but you know as i said to a lesser, to a lesser or a greater extent, but if you're on Shedweb, you read it a little, you read through it. Shedweb is one of the more um, uh, followed and uh, dynamic forums in terms of there's more people using it and reading it and all the rest of it um, compared to a lot of the other clubs. But if you go through every other forum that's out there, it's exactly the same across the board. Um, and 
it's just one of those things. I think fans have got to realise that uh, the club are probably more interested at the moment just by simply surviving. I think what you might find is that season ticket holders, my gut feeling is that season ticket holders particularly um, will probably be mess, will probably be contacted in the next few weeks um, and asked if you would prefer to, if you'd like to donate money as you know, if you can't attend these games coming up, because obviously we're not going to be able to attend any games probably till March at the earliest, you know, will you be willing to donate the money that you would get back to the club? Now, I'm in, I'm in a position that I probably will be able to do that. So that's fine. But some others won't be. So it is what it is. Um, the only other thing I'd say is if the club can could put out some sort of holding statement, I think, about the training ground, I think that would be a decent thing to do. Um, and the only reason I say that is that when the original communication was put out in, when was it, May, June, I think it was, um, they were, it was, you know, it was supposed to be uh, an announcement was supposed to be made shortly afterwards. Now, I, we all understand that these things have moved because of what's happened. Um, but I think a statement to say, uh, you know, we're, because of what's happened, we are now in a position where we can't promise this or we're still working on a scenario or, you know, the situation is being developed, being developed, et cetera. And we will come out with you something in the new year that might have to do. And people are going to have to accept it. Um, if it really, really annoys you so much and you've donated your money, tough, unfortunately. Um, you know, you take your chances, don't you? Um, yeah. There we go. Final thing tonight, um, and we're going to just quickly touch on it. So Jim was particularly interested in doing this. Now, I have absolutely no idea what he's talking about because I didn't watch this because I was suffering from what I thought was COVID, but wasn't, um, uh, thankfully. Uh, which is the New Zealand, the Bledisloe Low Cup, New Zealand Australia game, um, and a record victory apparently for New Zealand. Yeah, is that right? So they um, they 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 won the game and they beat their previous best by a whole point. Mm. Um, previously, the best was a forty-three to six victory, I believe, and they beat Australia forty-three points to five. Um, but my issue was, and I only started watching it towards the end of the game. But after doing a little bit of, I've looked at a couple of photos of a um, of a tackle that went early on in the game, and just a photo that I saw it was, that was ended in the yellow card, tackling the man in the air. You think bloody hell, you know that that could easily have been red. Um, but no, my my issue was um, Chanel Frizzell, who got a yellow card for um, uh, basically a shoulder to the face. Um, <laughs> although it wasn't quite shoulder, it was just about his bicep. It um, kind of missed the shoulder by a couple of millimetres. But I just thought it was hilarious that the commentators were, oh, I don't see anything in that. Oh, I think he might have lost a tooth. You know, it's like, hang on. <laughs> the guy's, like, pissing blood out of his face, and you've just said he might have lost a tooth, but you don't think the tackle was that bad. Um, and he ended up getting a yellow card. And I was like, that's got that's red all day long, surely. So... It seems that the whole um, just looking at um, all, all the new things that are coming into rugby, they've kind of forgotten about the, the high tackle and looking after people's heads again. Um, and I, I don't know whether it's just the New Zealand syndrome, whether um, you couldn't possibly give an All Black a, a red card, even if it is at the end of the game and it doesn't really matter because they've thrashed Australia. Uh, but I, yeah, player welfare. 
just does not seem to be big news anymore. It does seem strange that I mean, that New Zealand the, the, certainly when when obviously you know when we were all still in lockdown and New Zealand went back to start playing rugby again, um, they were really hot on all the new rules and laws and you know the the breakdown and all the interpretations of the you know the the connection with the head and all that. I mean they were literally every yeah, neck, neck week rolls was, and that sort of thing neck rolls they were getting bloody red cards every week and yellow cards every week and yeah it does surprise me I just wonder whether it's because it was not only was it in it was in New Zealand wasn't it was it was it in Wellington. Mm. The other one. Um, what um, this weekend? Yeah. No, it was in Australia. I was in Australia. Oh, even more surprising because yeah. I. Ah, uh, right. I thought it, I thought it was going to be on the cake tin. That's why they didn't give the red because it was uh, you know they 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 weren't going to give a red card against New Zealand in New Zealand. Mind you, yeah, only two players have ever been sent off to by uh, haven't they? Only two New Zealand players have ever been sent off. So. Uh, Sunny Bill. Sunny Bill was one of them, and that was the Lions. So. Um, yeah. Um, oh no, I, I, I will. I will. I would maybe suggest that if you are listening to this and you haven't seen it, then I will do this myself. Um, we'll we'll look out and yeah, try just, and find just, that. Just find find the highlight show. Um, what I would say from what I saw of the game, um, the five to fifth forty three scoreline does not mean that New Zealand are all conquering incredibly good. It means Australia are a Welsh level of dreadful. <laughs> but didn't hang on but didn't they draw the other week uh no um yeah, they did all... well they, australia, yeah, they australia, did. australia yeah. like, they, drew, they, they they nearly won it because they had the ball oh. at the post yeah, yeah they drew yeah. in new zealand yeah generally yeah. what i mean it's... I, I haven't seen it either but generally the, whole... the all blacks not bad for more than one game though are they as in they're not dreadful from the sounds of it yeah it's they're um it <laughs> I think the whole of the Southern Hemisphere's rugby at the moment is just gone haywire, hasn't it? With South Africa moving to be, oh no, we're going to join some sort of Six Nations type thing. We don't really want to play you anymore. It, and if Australia aren't good for a few years and South Africa are playing in Europe, then actually that is going to, play into France's hands because France will certainly win the next World Cup if that's the case I think I think the pro- yeah Australia's you won't have any money yeah I was gonna <laughs> say the, the problem is that the both of them have got, got what about 10 quid between them to try and Australia keep haven't been very good for years have they but the yeah. other thing you also need to remember is there are some weird results going on there over there I remember I was over there in 2016 I was actually in Sydney watching the All Blacks hammer uh, the Wallabies there and it was the, the return match was very very much closer and late the one then the other third game in Hong Kong I think which was even closer again if, if Australia didn't win it or something ridiculous like that yeah. so you get you do seem to have All Blacks if they do give someone a tonkin they seem to have struggled to do it again I don't think it's anything so much about us, uh, the All Blacks I just think the other teams managed to raise their games potentially yeah no that's true uh, uh, final thing then. Congratulations to the England women's team, uh, Grand Slam. I watched it last night. I actually did watch the England women versus Italy women. Um, it was unsurprisingly very one-sided. Um, uh, quite pea soup as well, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, well, it, the, the last try, if you haven't seen it... Um, the, the, well, you won't the, be able last, to. No, you won't be able to see it because it was caught in the fog. And, and I, yeah, it was quite funny. Um, and um, the only other thing was to mention was the uh, the... Ever so, well, yeah, there was the ever so slightly um, weird 
uh, results in France this weekend, where I think a few teams got an absolute tonking. I think Argen were on the wrong side of a 70-pointer. Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so there's a, there, there's some weird and wonderful results out there at the moment. And um, let's just hope Gloucester are not is, on... Is that, is that like because half of the Argen side were um, self-isolating or something like that? I don't you know, know. And they ended up having to play their academy? I don't know. I genuinely no, don't because know. it's just a gen, isn't it? And they got a habit of doing this. The yo-yo between the pro and top fourteen mm. every yeah. sort of couple of years, don't they? They're they're, they're not very good. No. There is one other other thing just quickly worth mentioning. So the RFU have cancelled all um, domestic rugby below. I think it's level three. Level three. Oh, is it level three um, for men and level four for women, or something like that? Yeah, um, different levels, is, I think. Yeah, I mean that that's an early decision. <laughs> um, you'd hope to think would be start to be on the on the good side of this, especially considering even through lockdown, football and, and other sports like that are continuing um, to write off the entire season. And that's going to make it it's going to make things difficult for some of the small clubs that that do need revenue streams. Um, yeah. Probably, yeah. probably doesn't affect the really small clubs too much, but it affects those ones that. They have, have to manage their yeah. They do have to yeah. manage their finances quite carefully. Well, one thing I looked up, the one thing there is to consider, of course, with rugby union over something like football is that the seasons haven't started yet. Whereas with football, the seasons have started, haven't they? Yeah, there's also well, yeah, the issue, and that's and that's why all the uh, the local rugby teams have suddenly started playing for uh, the eleven man game, haven't they? And yeah. Well, up north, it's league. Loads of them are looking into playing league because they haven't made a decision yet. So apparently yeah. there's loads of discussions about them trying to get into playing in, in league just to keep the players together and keep going. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it's it's a worrying situation because it's snowy, so there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of clubs, unfortunately, just revenue basis are going to struggle. Um, I suppose the issue being is that it's difficult to, you, you know, the top flight, uh, top two, two, three, maybe three divisions, you can kind of guarantee, you can get more of a guarantee of a COVID bubble. You can have a, you know, do all the testing, et cetera, necessary, but below, below that level, um, not, you're going to struggle. Not sure about, I'm not sure that high. I mean, it's, it's very, very expensive to do all the COVID testing. And it was kind of... Well, I mean, this is the... So premiership, you had, you certainly. Had Rob but, Baxter, you had Rob Baxter saying, oh, do we really need to be doing it? It's quite expensive. Yeah. And I think even at, even at the top level in the men's game, it's, it's borderline affordable. Yeah. But, I um, thought it was only everything below the all women's rugby bar the two or fifteen was counted. It might even be that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is the problem. Uh, that was that was the case. I think what Snow is referring to is the um, the whole league system for the season has been binned. Yeah. Um, as in, as in, there's yeah. no chance of it even starting right. before next okay. September or whatever. Yeah. Um, right. On that really depressing note, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll meet up again next week. Um, I think there's some more internationals coming, uh, the Euro Nations or whatever the hell it's called. And um, hopefully, hopefully there'll be more Gloucester news. You never hopefully know. Hopefully all the players will behave and we'll actually get some rugby on the telly. Yeah. And hopefully we've all got Amazon Prime subscriptions to watch the game with. Yes, true. Obviously. Obviously. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.